Welcome to the Everyday Ultra Podcast, a show designed to help you level up your training, crush your races, and ultimately become a better endurance athlete every single day. Whether you're an endurance athlete as a hobby or someone who wants to be the best in the sport, this is the show for you. I'm your host, Joe Corsion, and thank you so much for listening. Now, let's get into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and I'm super excited for you to dive into this episode. Before we get into the episode, I want to address something because I get a ton of questions asking me what are the best training plans to follow or suggestions on having a coach, right? Um, and this is something that has come up a lot, especially um, you know after my 10th place male finish at Havelina 100, um, given that I've only you know been running for about four years a lot of people have been asking like hey like what do you suggest for training plans or a coach um my answer always comes from what's worse best for me as well as others who i've chatted with in the industry and so i'm sharing my perspective from that regards and for me um, i've been working with zach bitter for almost a year now and he's helped me go from again starting at ultra running just a few years ago to placing top 10 at one of the most competitive 100 milers in the world at Havelina 100 um, plus zach has held world records for fast is 100 mile time and most miles completed in 12 hours so when it comes to suggestions i always recommend zach as he is one of the best of the best my suggestion if you are looking for a training plan or working with a coach is to check out zach bitter's pre-made training plans or his personalized training plans which comes with personalized coaching for your own goals whether you just want to finish your next ultra hit a pr or reach the podium zach has made pre-made training plans based on specific race distances and your own running experience that will give you the day-by-day workouts and running regimen you need to hit your goals and if you want more personalized plans he offers those as well with email support and the option to add on consultation calls with him if you want to have more personalized support. So to check out Zach's coaching, feel free to head out to the URL um, in my uh, in the show notes there, um, or if you want to just type it in, it's zachbitter.com slash coaching, um, or you can go again to the link in the bio to check that out. Again, he's got pre-made plans, which are amazing for all different types of distances and experience levels, um, and he also has personalized one-on-one coaching as well. Um, I highly recommend Zach's coaching for your next ultra and uh, definitely work with him as he's helped me a ton and I know he can help you a ton as well. So I just wanted to address that here because I know I've been getting a ton of questions um, outside of Havelina 100 on, um, you know, recommendations for um, running plans or coaches and uh, Zach is my go-to man for that. So definitely show Zach some love if you're looking for a coach or a training plan and uh, visit that link in the bio. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Corsione. Today, we got a awesome episode that I think is going to have not only tons of wild stories, but really just uh, highlighting an amazing race, but also an incredible human being who 
accomplish that race that we're going to talk about a lot today, but is also a finisher of the Cocodona 250. Anytime we have finishers of that race, I always want to have them on the show. But man, let me tell you how I got connected with our guests today because it level sets the race and this incredible conversation, which I'm so, super excited to dive into. So my friend Cody, uh, who we've been going back and forth on Instagram, sends me just a Strava picture. And the Strava picture, let me, and I have it right here. I'm going to read off the stats here. It says, this Distance 219.73 miles, an elevation gain 80,738 feet, and it's just one big loop. Like, and the location is is the famous Cormier, as everyone knows in UTMB. But I got this message, and I was like, "What the hell is this? Like, who is this guy? What is what is this challenge? What is this thing?" And lo and behold, we got him on the podcast here today to talk about the Tour de Giants, which is the race that we're talking about and which our guest completed here today. Um, he's an avid ultra marathon runner, um, again, who's completed Cocodona 250 and the uh, Tour de Giants, which we're going to talk about today on top of other races as well, always pushing himself uh, and is truly an inspiration. And I'm so excited to dive more, not just into the race, but his background, his mindset, his mentality. And uh, man, I, I think you're all going to look forward to this just as much as I am. So uh, without further ado, Peter Ward, thanks so much for coming on the Everyday Ultra Podcast, man. Appreciate you for being here. Thanks for having me and uh, looking forward to our conversation, Joe. Yeah, me too, man. I'm so excited to dive into this race because like, it, it's not only the first on this show that uh, we're talking about this race, but I haven't heard about this, this race at all on any podcast. So it's, I think it's going to be one of the early like indications of this race. And uh, man, I think this takes a special kind of human being to accomplish this. And so uh, having you on here is also just an, a massive treat, man. So before we get into the tour and, you know, this crazy accomplishment, I always like to know what was your background getting into ultra endurance and what kind of, you know, eventually led you to accomplish Cocodona and the tour most recently? Uh, good question. Um, I kind of, you know, I was very athletic when I was younger, um, played soccer in high school, but nothing crazy, no track or didn't run in high school, went to college, um, had a lot of fun, but didn't, uh, didn't join any, any teams or, you know, I, I, you know, occasionally found myself playing tennis and things here and there, but certainly wasn't uh, a runner at this point. Uh, when I was younger, I was certainly fast. Um, and I always knew I had some ability, but um, after college, um, had some time in Boston. And then that's when I really started uh, getting in, into, in. Sorry about that. So when I started getting into uh, running a little bit, um, started kind of getting um, into fitness. So I got really into fitness, kind of started to move away from the party scene a little bit and um, found myself just getting in really good shape. Um, you know, I feel like everyone kind of goes through different um, journeys for fitness. Uh, but long story short, I ended up uh, moving to New York um, and uh, kind of was just got a little bored. And then one day decided to kind of do a, a, try to do a loop around Manhattan. That's kind of where it started. I saw David Goggins video and was like, Oh, you know, kind of got all motivated and was like, you know what, I'm going to try a, a 10 mile run, did a 10 mile run. 
around from where my apartment was, kind of did a loop in Manhattan. My apartment was near Bryant Park. Um, and I did it and felt pretty good after no injuries. So the next day I was like, I'm going to do this again. <laughs> Went out, uh, ended up kind of injuring myself a little bit. Um, but from there signed up for the New York city marathon, um, did the New York city marathon had the absolute time of my life. Um, from there things kind of, that's the fire was lit. Um, I realized that, you know, I like pushing myself to the limits and seeing what I can do and, you know, seeing how completing the marathon kind of made from, from a perspective kind of made everything else in my life a little bit easier. Um, cause I've been through this, um, form of suffering and, uh, while kind of getting amped up for the marathon, um, you know, started watching YouTube videos and things like that, which, you know, algorithm led me into kind of Ironman videos, got really into the Ironman was like, you know what, I'm just going to sign up for a full Ironman, um, skip it. I want to do it. So I signed up for Ironman Lake Placid. Spent a lot of time on the bike trainer, um, running, just, you know, setting this goal that was kind of crazy. Um, it was certainly crazy at the time to do a full Ironman uh, without ever doing a triathlon before. But, you know, I never did, you know, I did a marathon. I didn't do a half marathon. I kind of saw that you can just do it. So I figured if I put in the time and the effort, um, I'd be able to, to manage the Ironman. Ironman was awesome. I did well. And I learned a lot of lessons from it. And that is, I don't really like biking and I don't really like swimming. So. And that bike course is brutal at Lake Placid too. Like that's like that, that bike course is gnarly, like compared to the other Ironmans out there. And it was pouring rain the whole bike. Like I'm talking (laughs) pouring rain. Uh, But either way, um, I'd actually performed best on the bike, but I just ultimately learned that, um, you know, I really, I enjoyed running the most out of all three sports. So that's kind of what I tell people is what the Ironman taught me, taught me that I really just like running. And then from there, I started getting into there. There's some, uh, I got into running, but found myself getting bored. Uh, grew, grew up a little bit in New Hampshire Mm-hmm. Um, in the mountains. So did a lot of hiking when I was a young kid and always really liked and enjoyed hiking. Um, so I kind of found, you know, just through some research, I think ultra sign somehow ultra sign up came on my radar. Um, and I found some local trail runs, um, in the general area, um, of New York city, um, up in like, there's actually some really good sections not too far out of the city um, off up the Hudson. Um, there's actually some decent trail running, believe it or not. Um, mm. And there's great races. The company, I think is called the Red Newt Racing. And they had a Solomon, uh, Solomon series kind of if you do, you know, if you do all three of these trail races and then if you if you do well at the end, you get a Solomon sponsorship. So mm. I was like, you know what, might as well, you know, try my hat at this. And luckily not that many people did all three of the trail races, um, but just found, found myself really enjoying trail races. And then from there, um, signed up for my first hundred, which was uh, Cold Water Rumble which was an Aravipa running event up in uh, Goodyear, Arizona. 
um, made it to about 96 miles, believe it or not. Um, but stopped in the middle of the night at the last aid station and pretty much got like hypothermic and my feet exploded. Um, I was just drinking Coca-Cola for, you know, the whole entire, um, the whole entire race pretty much. Um, I didn't know what I was doing. So DNF and that kind of lit a fire. Um, so when I recovered from that, I did another hundred, uh, the burning river 100, um, which was a cool, but very flat kind of easy course. Um, completed that as my first hundred. Um, and then I think my next race was 2021 Cocodona, um, which I didn't quite train for that much, unfortunately. Um, and respectively I DNF from that at around the hundred mile mark, I was doing very well, but just had some knee issues, you know, knowing what I know now, I would have just rested for a few hours, you know, taped up the knees and, you know, there's what I've gone through now, you know, it makes me look back and like laugh at the fact that I gave up so early in that race, but I owe finishing the Tour de Jantz this year to my 2021 DNF at Cocodona because it just lit a fire inside that no one could put out. Um, he, failing, I think failing for me is, is what does it um, and what teaches me the most. And I hate it. Um, so failing at Cocodona really lit a fire to then, you know, do these other things. And during Cocodona, um, during, I think from mile, like maybe 60 to 80, that first year I met another runner um, named Stefan England. Um, he's pretty well known in the running community. He run, uh, run diabetes, I think is his Instagram. Um, just overall great guy, um, very active in the running community. And we were, you know, kind of became trail buddies out there and we were talking, he was telling me that he was training for the tour. And I was like, well, what's the tour? And, uh, that kind of, so the 2021 Cocodona had, you know, crazy impacts on, on my future life. Uh, but that's kind of where it all started and, and led up to, um, finishing Cocodona this year. And then, um, I signed up for the tour a couple months prior to Cocodona. Um, yeah. And now we sit here today. Wow. So you signed up for the tour prior to Cocodona, which is interesting. I definitely want to get into that a little more, but the thing I want to highlight on your amazing story and thank you for sharing that in like such detail is like you, you know, your first hundred miler, like, first of all, man, the DNF at like, like 94, 96, like I can't even like that has just like, I can totally see how that lit the fire. Right. Because, uh, I feel like it's, I feel like a DNF at that would, would light up much bigger fire than like a DNF at like a 20 or a 30, right? Like earlier on. And so no doubt that you were able to take that and go in a burning river and really stoke that. And I love how you took, even you took the same exact approach to be like, Hey, you know, maybe 2021 Coke, don't want to dingo as well. And then the next year you went out to accomplish that. And I love what you saying like that 2021 Cocodona, even though it didn't go the way you did, like was a such an important moment in your life, in your running career and everything like that. 
And I think it highlights like, you know, you're able to see the beauty and the failure, see the lessons, see like the good from it, which obviously has led to your success. Now, so cool to see that, you know, you know, you <laughs> sign up for the tour right before Coca-Dona, but uh, I'm curious, like what kind of like peaked that in you, right? Because obviously, right, you, 2021 Coca-Dona didn't go too well not only did you sign up for it again next year, but you signed up for this one on like on top of that. So like you have two 200 mile races coming into there. What was kind of like the mindset and the mentality around that? And you know, what drew you to, to be bold in those challenges? Well, I signed up for the 2022 Cocodona literally the day it became available to sign up for that's, I mean, I was so disappointed in myself for, for not um, finishing that first year. Um, and that was my, that was like such a huge goal of mine. And, uh, you know, I think I've joked, um, with actually Jamil and, you know, other people at Aravaiba running that literally that race took over my life, everything from, from that day forward, all I ate, slept, drank Coca donuts. I thought about first thing when I woke up and before I go to bed and my goal literally was to do everything I can to do not, not only complete it, but it lit a fire that I really wanted to do very well at that race. Too. Mm. So, um, failing at that kind of ignited this training block um, for me up to Cocodona. Um, leading up to Cocodona, um, you know, we're always, some of us are always kind of looking at, you know, other races or what's going on. And I've always been intrigued by UTMB. Um and that was a few months after Cocodona, you know, definitely could work with my, with my work schedule. I would kind of work in the resort business. So my, my summers, believe it or not, you know, I work, I was working more in the Caribbean. So my summers would be the hurricane season. So I'd have, you know, this time off work after long stretches of working. So that kind of race fit, um, UTMB is very difficult to get into. Um, and then what's kind of the big, the big brother I'd say to um, UTMB is the tour, um, which I've heard about before. And I've been poking around um, at this point, I've been living on a flat Island in the Caribbean for two years. So signing up for the tour would be something, you know, ridiculous. Um, so it kind of organically worked out kind of unplanned. I was just messing around. I went on to the tour website um, yeah, a couple months before Cocodona and saw that um, they that day they just released the charity bibs to run the race. Hmm. Um, and they released them for one week. Um, and 16 of the 20 bibs had already been taken. And there was four bibs left. I, I think I texted or I called my fiance and I was like, Hey, there's, you know, we were planning on, you know, going to uh, Italy for a vacation anyways. Um, so I happened to hijack another one. I love my fiance. Shout out to Lauren for letting me uh, hijack another vacation. Um, but saw, saw the opportunity, saw that, okay, here's, I'm at this age. I'm in shape because I, all the training I've put into Coca-Dona, I don't have children yet. When am I going to have the chance to go to Europe again and, and spend eight days beating myself up and down these mountains of the Alps? And, you know, just it all kind of worked. And I called her and told her about it. And she said, follow your dreams. And I went click. Um, 
and signed up for the tour. And that I think worked. It was good and bad for Cocodona, but at least it made kind of, I put so much pressure on myself for Cocodona and all the training that I put in. I mean, I was looking, I really wanted to get, you know, top 10, top 25 at Cocodona. And I'm still kind of a relatively slow newbie at the sport. So, um, but I knew with all of that training that I was putting in and then it kind of took the pressure off Cocodona, made that more my, uh, my B race and tour became the ultimate, um, the ultimate A race at that point. Mm, that's so awesome. I, first of all, I think it's so cool to see you have like a supportive fiance who's just saying, Hey, like go for it, man. Like get on your dream. And I love that shout out in there, man. Cause it's a, uh, I feel like uh, with, with ultra runners, it's, it's, and you know, I'm sure my fiance would agree. It's like being an ultra runner. It's like, you, you, you gotta sign up for it sometimes. And it's like having that supportive partner is like so huge. So I definitely want to highlight that in there, but dude, I love the, the boldness and the, the confidence that you had in yourself to really just say, Hey, this is something that I want to do. And I don't think, you know, you would have signed up for that race if you didn't believe that you could do it. And I think like a lot of people would have said, you know, or the default in the mind would have been like, oh, you know, I'm training for Cocodon. It's my thing. I don't know. Might be too ambitious to sign up for it. But you were like, no, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make it happen. And I think that speaks volume to your belief. And not only why you were able to obviously finish the tour later on, but also finish Cocodona, right? Which is super, super cool. One thing that I thought was so interesting and kind of leads me to the next point here is, you know, so you, you mentioned that, you know, you sign up for tour, 80K of elevation game, which is just absolutely absurd. Like, I mean, that is just like nuts to like, think about. And you mentioned that, you know, you were in the Caribbean, that's where you were doing like your training, like a little bit more flat terrain. How did you approach training to, to tour? Like not only just in general, but like to, to get in the proper mileage to, to get in the gain, like the climbing legs in there, like what was your approach to training for a brutal race like that? Oh, not good. Um, <laughs> I mean, it clearly worked. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I hired a, I post Coca donut. Well, I had it. So rewind to where I live. I lived on, I live on just recently moved. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was living on a small Island in uh, the Caribbean called Anguilla population about 12,000 highest, highest point, like 150 feet. Um, oh completely flat um 16 miles long the whole island 16 miles long 16 miles long flat island um highest point is literally 150 feet i believe um above sea level so the only advantage and i had an anguilla was um you know hot running a lot of heat training um so that was a huge benefit. Um, after Cocodona, I did uh, hire a coach. Um, I hired Jason Coop, um, mm-hmm. who's, you know, very well known. And the reason, you know, I kind of, you know, this was such a big event and I know I needed to have everything in order for it. And coming from someone who I believe he finished 24th and finishing 20 top 25 at that race is just, um, insane so i figured he would be you know the best if not you know one of the best mentors leading into mm-hmm. that role. so um you know i had a lot of base miles um 
post, you know, headed up to Cocodona and just doing, you know, long 10 mile run. I mean, I was doing hundred mile weeks here and there. Um, but Cocodona really doesn't have that much elevation. Hmm. Um, and I'm just kind of, I feel like naturally I've just been a really good hiker. Um, so, and, and not a good runner. I'm hmm. certainly a hiker, not a runner. I feel if you're a runner, you should do Cocodona. And you can do really well at that. But if you're a hiker, Tour de Jeans is for you. I mean, they're just completely different races, um, totally on the spectrum. Um, I forget what, what we were, where were we headed with that? The uh, training, like for like, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, a lot of just a lot of running in the heat, which, you know, you don't realize it. I mean, to go bang out 10 miles, you know, on a Caribbean Island in the middle of the day is no joke. Uh, it hit, it just hits different, whether it's from what you need to be prepared with, how much water you need from a hydration aspect, um, just everything about it. Just, you know, I feel like now I'm, I'm back in the States and I can go out and, you know, put down a 10 miler and it feels like, you know, it doesn't even feel like I'm running, you know, I'm not breaking a sweat. So I really training in the high, high heat. And then also I became best friends with the lovely Stairmaster. So mm. many of, many of, uh, meetings with the Stairmaster, of course, not holding on and, you know, but going with two big bottles, um, you know, nutrition and literally, um, doing 700 flights, um, Every in set in certain sessions, it would, uh, Jason would put like two and a half hour step mills sessions on my, uh, yeah. Two and a half hours, two and a half hours, dude. And Holy uh, crap. Yeah. So, um, you know, lots of, just lots of, you know, specific training to the best of our ability. Um, I also, um, did a week, my parents, uh, live up in the white mountains of New Hampshire. So some rugged, really good trail running there. I mean, you certainly don't have the size mountains, but, um, you can find yourself some pretty gnarly trails, um, especially where, where they live. It's very accessible. It's like trail running Mecca. Um, this little town called Waterloo Valley. It's got tons of great, um, access to trails, so my fiance got COVID. We were supposed to go on a vacation and she got COVID. So I shot home for an extra week and kind of just ran in the mountains for a couple of weeks um, every day to get some vert. And one day I did a hiking trail, um, Mount Tecumseh. I went up and down, I think six times to do, to get that 10,000 feet in uh, like one run just to see what it was like. And then thinking about, you know, considering having, having to do it over such an immense period of time. And then I did go out and do one training camp with Coop. Um, I went out to Colorado for four days and we just did 14ers, um, at nauseum, 12 hour days, just up and down and up and down these big, big climbs and these big mountains. Um, you know, and we were going up to, you know, 14 and a half thousand feet. Um, so coming from sea level, that was, uh, a nice kick in the rear. Um, and that taught me a lot going into this race. Um, but you know, hopefully we can get into the tour soon. Um, 
but I also learned so much, just the tour was so long. I learned how to hike and trail run in the Alps while out there during the race. Um, cause it was just a different, a different animal, um, altogether, but yeah, lots of heat training, lots of beach running, lots of, uh, running on coral. So kind of running on loose rock, um, to help with my technical skills, um, but certainly nothing really steep and no downhill training, which I wouldn't recommend going into this race. Um, certainly got some in New Hampshire and then in, in Colorado, which um, if you've listened to, I think it was a couple podcasts ago from uh, Coopcast, um, they did a study on downhill running and you can kind of, you know, you hold on to what you, uh, the benefits you receive from a couple hard sessions of running downhill. So there's some interesting science behind that, but yeah, that's kind of where my training was. Um, certainly didn't, was not getting enough vert, um, for what I was getting into. Yeah. But still, man, I mean, it's so cool to see that you made it work, right? Like, I mean, two and a half hours on a Stairmaster, I think like not only obviously are you simulating the game, but like, I feel like that's like good mental training as well. Like, I mean, two and a half hours, on just like you're basically in one place like it's i think that's even like more brutal than a treadmill because a treadmill you're even just you're you're moving a little faster you know like it's 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 a lot more easier to like do ancillary things like watch tv or something like a stairmaster though i mean you're just grinding like for like two and a half hours just oh man step after step so kudos to you for making it work despite the situation and i definitely want to get into like the race of the tour now so so Tell us a little bit about the race. I mean, I know I threw out the stats, right? 220 miles, 80K plus of gain. Tell us a little bit more details about the race, what it consists of, because I'm sure most of our listeners are unfamiliar. So tell us a little bit more about like the, the details of the race. And then let's get into like the, the stories, the, the epic, like what the race was like, because I want to get into it. But uh, let, let's, uh, I would love to set the table on what the tour is like. Yeah, so it's, um, it's called the tour or tour X, um, formerly known as tour de Giants, is kind of the official name. Um, there's multiple races, which within the tour de Giants, um, there is some, some shorter races and then a longer race. Um, it's called the tour 450. That's called tour de glacier, which is, is kind of additional things off this route, um, with even more elevation. Um, but it's a really special race. Um, I'd say it's the Super Bowl of 200 mile races. Um, it takes place, you circumnavigate the Aosta Valley. So the farthest northwest corner of Italy. Um, so you're kind of sitting right underneath Switzerland and to the right of um, France. Um, it starts and finishes in Cormier. And you, you, do, you, you take two um, famous trekking routes called the Alta Vista 1 and the Alta Vista 2. Um, and you circumnavigate this really gorgeous um, valley and, and city of Aosta, which is like this old Roman city with like a Rome, like a big Roman wall around it. It's really special and cool. Um, and you go through about 35 municipalities or 35 little Italian towns. Um, they've got um, a total of six life bases. So these life bases, um, six locations throughout the course, roughly about, I think it's about 50 miles, 50 K or 50 miles apart. Um, and at each one of these, then you could sleep, 
you could have you you would they give you a tortoise bag kind of like a one big drop bag a duffel bag um, and you fill that up and what they'll do is they'll move that from each life base to life base so you mm-hmm. have you have a bunch of requirements to have in there should they decide that you need them like crampons you know all the specific gear um, and then you can put additional stuff in there um, that you like so it's kind of like a, a moving drop bag mm. and then you're not really allowed to have a, it's, it's, the rules are a little sketchy to be honest. Um, but you're not really allowed to have a crew. You're allowed to have one assistant that will have a badge, but there's no pacers, none of that. Um, and then, so I was able to meet my fiance like outside each life base and she could meet me outside and give me like additional things that I may or may not had in that bag. Um, but unfortunately she couldn't actually come into the life base with me where I would then, you know, be able to sleep, get my feet taped, um, eat. And then throughout the course, um, they have additional aid stations, mostly at what they call refugios. If I pronounce mm-hmm. that correctly, the, the mountain huts, um, throughout, I think a total of like 45, believe it or not, um, you know, anywhere from you know, roughly five to 10 miles apart. But some of these sections would just, you know, some of these even three mile sections, it felt like they would take a day, um, you know, depending on, on, on some of these hikes. And it's, uh, it's not a stage race. Um, it's point to point. Um, the winners legit do not sleep. Um, a few minutes here and there, I ended up, uh, sleeping, I think around seven to nine hours is kind of my, my estimate. Oh my gosh. Uh, over the course of the week. Um, the, I mean, we could talk literally forever about this and the way it was, but the, you know, these life bases were, they were literally war zone tents. You know, you go in, you just have, you know, a, a whole, massive tent just lined with the kind of the military style cots and just, you know, these ultra runners and, you know, people sitting there um, just looking dead. Like they just went through war, very crowded. Um, You know, it was just a lot. It was a lot. So sleeping wasn't the easiest. Um, You know, it's not like the Cocodona where I had my fancy RV to pop into and get some peace and quiet. Um, R&R whenever I really wanted it. Cause you know, at Cocodona, there's a lot of crew access. You can have your crew at a lot of these aid stations. Um, so where this was, you know, you were more on your own for, or no, you were definitely on your own for this one. Um, most it's a huge race in Europe. Um, not very well known in the States. Certainly um, people in the community, do know this race. Um, Avery Collins has done well at this race. Um, Jason Coop has done well at this race. Hmm. Um, I think Matt Smith, who took fourth place at Cocodona this year, he did it in 2018. I believe he took seventh place. Um, there's a couple other um, well-known names that have done um, done this race, but it is just, it's a hiker's dream in a sense but it it was the most spectacular thing I've ever done in my entire life um just with the most aggressive um hiking and descending I could ever imagine um 
all the way, you know, you'd, you'd have these five hour um, climbs. And then, you know, I remember, I think the fourth, the fourth big peak had a 16 mile descent. Into oh the my gosh. Um, so just, you know, you can't, it's hard to train that if you're not from the Alps doing these big days and these big mountains, um, you know, even in Colorado, you know, these 14ers. Yeah. But you're starting at 10,000 feet, you know, mm-hmm. these, these, some of these mountains, you know, you're, you're doing a 9,000 foot climb and then right into even, you know, a longer descent, um, down into this deep, deep Valley. So it's just, things I wasn't prepared for. Um, but you really had to, but so long and so aggressive that you kind of had time to learn, regroup, fix things and, um, slowly make your way up and down these, these mountains surrounded by, you know, no one speaks English or not very well. Um, so, you know, I went the first couple of days without, you know, I actually did almost the entire race by myself. Um, I met a few Americans along the way. Um, certainly shout out to John Sharp from Texas. Um, he's relatively well known in the, in the ultra running community, but he was kind of my trail angel in a sense and gave me some, some serious tips along the way that really helped me complete and have, have a great, a great race. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, this crazy loop with 80,000 feet of elevation change, 25 mountain passes, um, and almost no flats. I mean, you're going straight up five hour climbs. Then you've got a, you know, a three hour descent, four hour climb, three hour descent. And, and nothing is easy about, um, you know, steep descents just day in day out that would just grind you to your core. Um, you know, you always think the downhills are going to be so easy, but in a race like this, I mean, I was eventually getting to a point where I couldn't wait to start going up. Um, um, I guess to kind of continue on this ramble where we're going. Um, and it was really unique is, you know, I said earlier, where Cocodona is certainly more of a, a runner's race, like, it's pretty flat. I mean, Mingus is nothing. Eldon's Eldon, but um, that that I, that you could it, this this race is definitely for someone who you know is likes hiking or or long you know you know almost like you know the FKT style of runner like a Jeff Garmeyer. I think he would do great at this race type mm. of thing. Um, and it's so long and so big that, you know, you take these, you know, you'd rest your core. You'd have to figure out how to rest your quads and hike only with your, you know, your glutes and your hamstrings. So then you could have for five hours. So then your quads could handle your, your, your descents. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's an animal. I, you know, I, I honestly say it's Cocodona on steroids. Um, just, next level from uh from a being on your own you know sense i feel like if you did cocodona crewless um you're crazy but um there was a bunch of people who did that um you know i feel like it's kind of doing something a little bit more 
you know, you're out there and you're by yourself and there's no one to talk to. And, um, you're going up and over these mountain passes. I mean, there's, there was zero chill on this course. Um, you know, you're talking on these mountain passes, there's ropes. Um, you know, you're certainly getting into the mountaineering side of things at, at the top of some of these mountain passes and there was 25 of them. So it was, uh, made for some pretty wild nights um, and some wild times out there for sure. I can imagine, man. I mean, even just hearing this race, it's like, holy Toledo. And I love, I love the, I love the distinction that you made too, like between like Cucadona is like a runner's race. Like this is a hiker's race. Right. And the Alps, as you know, are so different, right. It's probably why we saw like, you know, Jim Walmsley move from Flagstaff to like France to train in these mountains and why, and granted, I think the females have it all figured out and I'm still trying to figure out what it is, but the males have never won UTMB coming from the United States. Right. Because I think there's, there's such an edge being in those territories, which I think is, uh, speaks volumes to what you were saying, how different it is, how unique, even the setup, like that drop bag setup is actually crazy. Like I didn't even know, like you only have one assistant, per- it's, not even, it's not even a crew. Like that is nuts. So like, this is like wild. And I love how you ended it. on like, there are some crazy nights, some crazy stories, some crazy times out there. I can believe it. What were some crazy stories from the race? Cause I would love to hear like more of it from your perspective and how you tackled this thing. Like what, what were some crazy, crazy stories from your perspective or maybe like a few that just stand out that was like only at the tour, man, only at the tour, you know? Yeah. Um, I guess I'll, I'll kind of go to a positive story and how my race ended up. I, what led me to actually finishing. So the after the fourth pass, you come down to the second life base called Donas, um, which is you know a big city, and you get the not a big city, but a, an Italian city that you um, you you finish, and that's where that sixteen mile descent was. I was pretty much broken, like fully, absolutely, just shattered, broken. My at this point. Um, I was doing a lot of hiking um, with my quads and then smashing the downhills with my quads. And I, you know, I'm relatively good at running down downhill, especially technical downhill, even though I wasn't training it. I just, um, I guess that's just what I love. Um, so I really enjoy running fast downhill and we all know that that can, um, can kill your race. But even knowing that I still kind of charge the downhills, pretty early um, and got into Donas and kind of told my fiance um, and my, and my parents were also there supporting me. Um, I was texting them and I was like, Hey, I don't know if I can, if I can do this. Like um, Mm -hmm. I'm at the second life base. I am just destroyed. My knees are just, you know, I, I don't know. Like I got to figure something out. So in that, in that life base um, I, you know, not the most patient person, um, but I decided to, to swallow the patient's pill. And then I ended up uh, waiting to get my feet taped up and then also to see if he could tape my knees. Um, so he taped my knees up um, and I got my feet taped up and then I put some compression pants on. And then I also brought two knee braces with me. That's how bad my knees were. Whoa. Um, 
And I, and I brought two knee braces with me because at one point in Cocodona, um, my ankles were so shot that I had my crew run to CVS, buy me like the slip on ankle braces. And at the next aid station I threw on, and that really helped me finish Cocodona was having that extra stability in my ankles mm. to get through. Cause after a certain time, you just, you're so, you just toast, you know, you need some additional stability. So, you know, the compression pants, or, you know, the two XU kind of compression pants. Um, and then I had my, um, my braces that kind of helped, but I could, I could only really, I could only really successfully do like that. The first mile of every descent at this point, Mm. after that, it would just be, you know, I'd literally be grunting for the next three hours or whatever, until I could get to the next climb. Um, Eventually, um, I crossed path with this uh, awesome guy named John Sharp from Texas. Um, he does a lot of these um, races and uh, relatively well known in the community. And we were just talking about first person I talked to in days um, you know, from Texas, funny guy. Um, so we just kind of stuck together for, for a little while. And, you know, we were talking about the race and, you know, I was listening to him. He seemed like he knew what he was doing. He just did PTL at UTMB, which is, if you know, it's, it's like crazy. It's crazy. Um, so I knew this kid knew what he was talking about. Um, and he was, he was, I was telling him my knees and he kind of gave me some tips with my knees. Telling him about what I was eating and, you know, he was kind of helping me adjust what I was eating, how to attack the aid stations and, you know, making sure I sure I eat the apricots with the cheese. Don't just eat too much cheese, you know, just like little stupid things like that. Um, but he was watching me and he was watching me hike. And at this point, you know, we're halfway through this race. And I'm telling you, I'm I'm a mess, absolute mess. Um, and he's looking at me and he's like, dude, he's like, I think I know why your knees are messed up. He's like, because you're hiking with your quads only. Mm. Like, so he's like, you're hiking with your quads and then you're coming down with your quads and you're not giving yourself any time to rest. He's like, do you know how to hike with your glutes? I was like, what are you talking about? Like, this is, this is how I hike, man. I'm just, you know, I go up, you know, I've never really been, I guess, taught how to hike. So literally there middle of the race, we're going up this steep hike and he's teaching me how to hike with my glutes um, and explaining to me how our glutes are the biggest muscle and how, um, you know, they can really withstand a lot more than our quads because they're so big. And if I can hike with my glutes, I'll give my quads a rest um, for the downhills. And I mean, it just clicked and I started taking shorter steps but doing exactly what he told me and hiking with all glute. And I think those Stairmaster days paid off. Um, I think it was half, I went half the race kind of running only my quads. So it gave me this like weird second wind. Um, and I just started picking people off. Um, like I was apple picking. It was the best thing ever. Um, and coming from Cocodona, this last year I was kind of injured and I went the last 150 miles, not passing a single person after being mm. sixth place over Mingus. So I know how it feels 
to get past for days and days on end. So it was nice to be on the other end, but kind of, he taught me this, this technique on how to hike, um, started taking these half steps, hiking with my glutes and my hamstrings, not using any of my quad muscles. And that was, um, able to, I was just propelling up these, these, um, these climbs. Like I it was like the first time I hiked and I found new legs. Um, it was really special. And then by that point I was rested. My, my quads were rested. So then they could handle the entire downhills. Mm. Um, and then from that point on using, you know, changing on my diet from, you know, eating a lot more of the, the food they provided and, you know, kind of trying to a little bit less gel, um, you figure out what's working, what's not working for your sleep, but ultimately, um, that one little tip really helped propel me to such, you know, such a good race for, for, for myself. Um, and I, and I ended up kind of going through the rest of the race, you know, working out this strategy of hiking glutes coming down on the brakes, which you have to use your quads. Um, so I don't know, that's not really a crazy story, but that's certainly um, a story that I think can give value to some people on this podcast. Um, Cause you know, I certainly thought I, you know, was relatively elite um, at this sport and then coming to find out that I didn't even know how to hike middle of the tour de Jeans was kind of overwhelming, um, but also um, the best blessing I could have received. Um, so thank you, John Sharp, um, for that. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, a, it was more of a journey than a race. I can imagine. And, and real quick too, uh, because I know this isn't like the, I'm sure that there's listeners, including myself dying. It's like, like the two minute, what's the two minute download on how to actually hike with your glutes? Like, cause I'm actually like super curious. Yeah. So you just, you do a much shorter step mm. and you kind of do a full extension with your leg. So you do mm. almost a half step and a full extension and you kind of keep your lower core tight and up and it brings it all into your glute and out of your quad. Mm. So you do this other hiking technique and your glutes just don't get tired. So, I mean, I'm literally out there just machining up these like very, you know, I'm passing these like, you know, very talented European runners that are like, you know, who are you? Like I would be going into these aid stations and some of the people would look at my bib and they, you know, try to ask me where I was from. I was like Anguilla in the Caribbean. And they were like, how, like, how are you, here? How, are you how are you doing this? Um, and I was like, I don't know, man. I was like, this guy, John, <laughs> uh, ask him. Uh, but yeah, it was in it that just kind of, you know, sparked something inside me that I truly felt um, like I knew once I took that first downhill after hiking with my with my glutes that I was going to finish. Um, and that was a huge mental um, break. And then obviously passing people, you know not getting injured because now, you know, your knees have time to rest when you have a five hour climb ahead of you. Uh, so it was, it was just a crazy situation where you're, it was able to you know, use this new technique to really my advantage. And now hopefully next time you're out on some steeps, you, uh, you give it a try. Um, 
because it was really, you know, eye-opening to me. Um, yeah, that is so useful to know. And I was, I was actually curious because uh, in full transparency too, and little, little, I know like our listeners are probably thinking, but like also for me too, I got um, Havelina 100 coming up now. I know it's like, people are like, wait, dude, that's not a climb race. But I mean, for those familiar with the course, it does have a slight incline up and you're usually hitting it pretty hard and doing that over time. Like I felt like my quad starting to feel it a lot more. So I'm wondering if there's a way I can uh, incorporate some, uh, some glute action in there on the climb to jackass junction from there. So I think that's a, uh, it's super useful to know for sure. I'm telling you, you got to try a little half steps and just kind of do a full extension of your leg, kind of like pop yourself up. Um, you really just decrease that stride length um, quite a bit, you know, and, and you can, and you'll see, and I mean, especially in these long distance races, you know, you're, you're not late in the race. Once your quads are tied, you're not powering up these things anyways, but you know, if you're on, if you're on fresh uh, glutes, even a half a step, I mean, you're powering up this thing um, and then those climbs and, and you'll definitely notice it. So I, I would, I would try to uh, try to get out there and you can even give me a call. I can uh, maybe walk, walk you through it, but it was, you know, it was pretty simple, you know, and, you know, it took me a little while to get it. Um, and then certainly in this race too, um, very thankful that I watched um, a lot of YouTube videos, which is bizarre on how to use trekking poles. Um, and there are, most people use their trekking poles very incorrectly. Mm. Uh, there's some certain specific techniques, um, that I found, you know, would just work so much better, um, than, you know, putting them up in front and kind of pulling yourself up. You kind of, it's more of like a ski touring mm. style, um, where you're kind of pushing from behind you at an angle. And I think, you know, back to why Killian and, and some of these guys are, um, Francois are so good at these mountain races is because, you know, th in the winter they're touring up these mm. you know, using, you know, using kind of that exact same. And, you know, I met some friends during the race, you know, and they were like, Peter, I saw you, you know, 50 miles ago and you were dying. Like, what do you, what, like, tell me your secrets. And I would tell them your secrets and they would look at me. They're like, yeah, that's how you hike in these mountains. Cause they're just so steep. You kind of have to hike with your glutes. Um, so it's an interesting, uh, little trick. Hopefully, uh, hopefully maybe you get some use out of it. Maybe some of the other listeners, uh, for sure, man. I'm definitely trying this uh, Saturday on my long run out on the on the Havelina course. So I will definitely let you know how it goes. But you, man, I mean, it just makes so much sense, man. So I appreciate that a ton. And uh, so cool to see, like, even just like the small things, like the um, the trekking poles, right? And I actually never put two and two together until you mentioned it. Like, cause as we know, like, I feel like a lot of good mountain runners are Nordic skiers in, in the off season. Right. And I thought, oh, you know, it's because like you're burning your legs and all this stuff, but I didn't even think about that motion, like that they're going on, which is like super, super useful and beneficial. So like you unlocked, like the power of the glutes, like the power of correct, like, you know, using the poles in the right way, but I'm sure like, you know, I mean, 220 miles 
80k of gain i'm sure there was some probably some spots where it was like holy crap like this is a this is hard this is tough like closer to the end were there any moments like that and if so like towards the end of the race what did you do like inside your mind to conquer that and to really keep moving forward and to stay strong because i think you know and as you know completing cocodona and being in the ultra community like man almost every runner on here that distinguishes themselves including yourself is like is is the mind right you can be you can be fit you can you can run you can be a good runner you can be a good hiker but like if you don't get that mind right like it's so cliche but it's so damn true so i'm curious to hear from your perspective were there any dark moments coming into like the the latter part of the race and how did you conquer that inside your mind and i guess also too to add another already onto this stacked question is is the tour was it like just way more darker than any other race, like in terms of just the challenge and everything like that? Um, yes and no. So I'll start uh, where to start. I know I just threw a lot at you, but yeah. I'm, I'm just so curious to know. <laughs> um, what was your, what was the first question of the three? So the first question is like, did you face like super dark moments, like inside your oh, yeah. mind so, when you're out there on the tour? So actually, so in Cocodona, I was, pretty injured about halfway through. Um, so I went through some dark places in Cocodona and I, I'm more, I don't really enjoy even running that much. I love trail running, but like flat running is really, you know, not necessarily, um, my shtick. Um, so I suffered immensely. I limped literally limped the last 125 miles of that coca donor race so from a pain perspective i learned you know i already had that in the in the the cookie jar if we're talking yeah doggins here um leading into this race i had some really 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 dark moments um i staggered throughout this race um and the throughout the tour but building off what I learned in um, Cocodona is like, as long as you're not injured, you know, and I'm out in the mountains, I'm pretty happy. Um, and I'm moving and I'm trying to stay where what happens to me where I get really dark. Um, I had one section where I just was so tired. Um, so tired. I was like, what am I doing? Why am I here? This is, this is, that shit crazy. I mean, <laughs> you know, from, from it's, it's hard to explain from, you know, people shitting on the side of the trail. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's crazy out there. Um, but what I found for me, whenever it gets really, really bad, um, it just means that I'm very, very tired. Mm. Uh, so luckily the first, the first wave, um, hit me actually right before I met um, my trail angel, John Sharp, the guy who taught me uh, how to hike. Um, and I was in, I don't, coming from the Caribbean, I don't do well in the cold. And I tried some trail naps in Cocodona that failed miserably because mm -hmm. they were at night and I woke up hypothermic and I was just a mess. Um, but I felt myself hating life and being miserable. Um, so I put on a little sleep track. It was just at sunset. So I knew I had a small window that I might be able to get away with taking a trail nap and not waking up freezing cold. Um, I took a seven minute trail nap. 
and put like a Spotify sleep binaural beats thing on, set my alarm for seven minutes right on the side of the trail um, and woke up from that. And then that immediately recharged my batteries. Um, so when it did get dark, I, I've learned through, you know, doing Cocodona twice, doing a few of these hundreds and being out there for the first four days of this race, <laughs> you learn a lot, even just, it's so long and so crazy. You learn so much. And I was, I learned that when I start getting miserable and my mind starts going the wrong way, all I need is a short little nap. Mm. Uh, to get going. And this was, this is, this has been one of the hardest things for me to, um, well, it's hard to train. Um, it's, it's hard to execute in races because, you know, you know, you hear about Courtney do do Walter doing it all the time, but I mean, when are you actually out there for so many, so long to actually practice this? So I, I believe that in ultra running trail naps and quick naps at aid stations is certainly one of the most important thing, if not the most important thing to completing these, because at least for me, for my morale, um, just from, I'm not energy, but just from like being alive, seven, mm -hmm. I found that seven minute window for me just really started clicking and working. Um, and then I was kind of able to use that throughout the race. So um, one of my other dark moments, um, towards the end of the race, um, I, it was after Olamont, which is the very last life base. Um, and I was sleeping about an hour at each life base, um, but got into Olamont and it was all the other life bases were like, awesome. This one sucked. So <laughs> I had... They had like the showers were outdoors. They had like one tent with like all the cots lined up. I mean, and you're deep, deep into this race. So people are just, you know, literally walking zombies. Um, but they really had no separation to like where you could go. Like they like all the other ones would have like the sleeping area and they're like the picnic tables to like get your shit together. Um, like get your bag, figure it all out. This, this room just had only cots um, and it was just crowded it was mayhem. Um, so I decided at this life base that I was just going to go strong for the finish. Um, I was feeling, feeling really good at the time. Um, soon after that, just, you know, bonked really hard. Um, I felt it right away. Um, but then in one of these refugios, I went in there and I sat on one of these chairs, rocking chairs, you know, halfway up this mountain, told the, told the girls, uh, wake me up in seven minutes, put my headphones in and um, woke up and was able to, you know, I felt so much better, at least had motivation to get back out there and keep grinding. Um, a huge factor for me in this race, though, was how strong I felt because my glutes just never got tired. Um, mm. And I was, I felt so incredibly strong. Although I, if you look, I mean, if you look at my detail on the Strava, I mean, it's tough to look at splits because of just the crazy elevation. But, you know, if, if you were able to break down the data, I certainly was like negative, I like negative split 
the tour de Jean's because I was just so jacked up on the excitement on how well I was hiking, how I had no, literally, I mean, doing these big climbs and I was just up and then down. Um, I mean, I must've passed a hundred people, you know, and I was already doing well up to that point. Um, so I'm passing, you know, very low ranked runners and, you know, these, you know, these very well, um, established European trail runners and they're just looking at me like, what do you, how? Um, so that also played a huge factor to my mental, um, as opposed to Cogadona was just, you know, a knife in the, you know, in the chest every time someone passed me and I'm, you know, limping along, but in this one, I was that guy, you know, just, you know, clicking off the miles, uh, at the end, certainly the very last, um, mountain pass is called Cole Mantra. And it's like this just absolutely insane climb through, um, kind of the main photo of the race It's through this crazy mountain pass that, that descent coming back into Cormier was, was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, but had to take another little seven minute power nap and was able to, to find, uh, find the, find the juice, um, to get back home. But I mean, out of 1200 starters, only 408 official finishers. Whoa. So at, at a certain point of the race, a, a snowstorm came in. So they did have to cancel it. Um, so technically there was a decent amount of people that um, were probably would have made it. Mm -hmm. um, and within the cutoff should, you know, should it not have snowed, you know, half a foot on top of this crazy mountain pass that, you know, was treacherous in the conditions that I passed it and bluebird, you know, middle of the day. Um, it was crazy when I went through it. So, um, but only actually 408 people actually completed the loop, um, this year. So, I mean, it just, this course just was eating people alive. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> that is nuts to put that into perspective of like how, I mean, even with like the giant, like course cancellation, like you mentioned before, like that is still a very small number. And honestly, like, I'm not too surprised just given how brutal these conditions sound and like, man, it's, it just sounds, uh, but nonetheless, man, it sounds like an awesome time. And I love like the the strategies that you laid out, right? Like building the momentum on getting that winning strategy with the glutes, but also the power naps, right? Like just getting that nap, getting that mental reset, getting that physical reset and just getting that on there. I think it's something that is such a skill. And I'm sure, you know, like, as you mentioned there, like to really have that during these 200 mile efforts is like the sleep. And it's something that you don't get in a hundred mile races. Most times you're not sleeping at a hundred mile race and anything like that. And so I think it's so cool that, you know, you're, you're having that strategy so dialed in and it was so great to see that work out for you, like during the thing. So coming on the tail end of the podcast, right. I mean, I'm sure people listening right now were super nuts about the sport are probably itching to look into this race and dive in, but maybe for the people who's on the fence on this race, like is there like a quick thing that you'd say to, to make him have the jump from, you know, your experience coming from uh, your recent finish? Yeah. I mean, what a, it, unlike anything I've ever done in my life. I mean, just from the views are spectacular. I mean, when you have time to go up 25 mountain passes in the Alps, um, what a great way to see Italy. 
Um, you know, it's, it, you run through, it was just so authentic. I mean, the course very well marked, but also very, you know, technical, still difficult was no, you know, was no easy peasy trail, you know, smooth sailing trail for sure. Um, but certainly just, you know, special. I mean, at one point you're on a road built by the Romans, you're just going, you know, it's kind of what, what I feel like what Jamil wants Cocodona to be, you know, linking all the towns, but you know, you're, he's trying to link like su suburbia, Arizona, and this is like old Italy. So, I mean, you'd be going, you'd be running, you'd like be halfway up this mountain or halfway down this mountain. And then the course would weave you through this little town that has no cars or no roads. You're just like up in the mountains. Um, so special. Everything was so old, you know, just the, the, the history over there is so cool and they love the sport. Um, this was a big deal over there. Like, um, everyone out there knows about the tour. Um, it's a huge event for them. It brings lots of, um, revenue to the, to the Aosta Valley every year and Cormier and all the towns that are along, um, are along the list. My recommendation is would do this before it's too hard to get into because this race is extremely popular. They had 1200 runners, um, this year. And I don't, I think that that was the cap. So I don't think they can, um, or they will accept any more than that. Um, and I just, I see this becoming, you know, just similar to UTMB. Like this is the Super Bowl of 200 mile races and it's, it was so worth it. Uh, I, it's unlike anything I've ever done. You you can't prepare for the Tour de Jans. I mean, you can in some sense, but you really can't prepare. It's, it's such a, I mean, there's just not many places, at least if you live stateside that have, you know, these type, those type of mountains and that type of, you know, vert in, in some of these mountain passes. I mean, unless you're mountaineering, I mean, you just don't, you just don't deal with this stuff. Um, but running through all of these like little towns and having every little community, you know, you know, running the New York city marathon, you've got like 2 million fans. It's amazing. Everyone's cheering you on, but this was so cool. You'd run into these little towns. And if you hit it during the day, everyone knows who you are. Everyone in that small town is cheering you on, looking to see where you're from. Um, it, so it was just so cool from a sense of, um, it was a learning experience, you know, put yourself in Northern Italy where, you know, they speak French and Italian, you know, a lot of the time they lose that, you know, that third language is, is tough to hold up. So not much English is spoken up there. So, you know, you're just, you're not in a touristy area. You're just in this like super authentic mountain magical land it's it's hard to describe i mean just high up in these alps going through these little villages and you know getting to when you get to explore 35 towns in the alps i mean it would you know it would take you that long just you know you can't even drive to a lot of these places so um 100 highly recommended if you're you know if you're into these type of um long, long day events and you can handle, 
um, not much support. Uh, yeah, definitely at like big, big emphasis on the not much support. Cause I feel like that alone too, is just like such a challenge, like even on top of the mileage and everything like that, but man, this race sounds so, so cool. And I love how you said, like, get in this race before it gets big. And, you know, I mean, 1200 people, man, that's, that's not, it's not small chickens when it comes to a race. So, I mean, like that is like, yeah, that is a big number. And even so, like, it's, it's not as well talked about here in the States. And uh, so, man, I think you, you gave a nice pitch for it, man. And even I'm thinking about it, it's like, when, I'm going to make this happen. This sounds like freaking awesome. So appreciate you diving into the race, the stories, man. And congrats again on the epic finish. I think it takes a different breed to, to finish this race. And, you know, just from hearing you over the past hour, talk about it, man. I, uh, you know, I- I'm impressed, but I'm not surprised, man. You got, you're, you're dialed in on it. I love how you took the fire in your journey and applied it to the tour and really made it an accomplishment that like you said was one of the greatest experiences of your life and so cool to see you have that and you know grateful to share it on here and before i ask my last question uh here on the podcast where can our listeners follow along with you on your journey uh whether it's social media strava anything like that uh if they're so interested to do so yeah um instagram's probably the best place at this point um just pj wheezy pj w-e-e-z-y good old college nickname that that's stuck. Um, and then also on Strava, I believe, um, as PJ Weezy as well, or you can just look me up under uh, my name, Peter Ward and, uh, follow along. And if you have any questions about the tour, I know I reached out to, um, a lot of people beforehand, um, for asking for more information, give me some insight on, you know, where to stay, what to do. I mean, there's a lot of unknowns and the website doesn't actually tell you that much. Um, you know, you don't get your thick running packet that goes over literally every little thing. I mean, it's a little bit more loose here in Italy, um, but that would be a, a, the best way to find me and uh, more than happy to uh, talk about this race with uh, anyone or anyone has any more questions about it. Uh, that's awesome, man. I appreciate that. And, and that, you know, your support to help other people as well, which is amazing. And I encourage everyone to go follow Peter here, man. I mean, like it's, uh, it's just so awesome just to, you know, see your journey and see you grow and level up, not just on the tour, but in your life, man. And so it's, uh, it's cool to follow along on, uh, on social media to see that man. And I encourage everyone to do so. And, uh, Peter, for my last question here that I ask every single guest who comes on the show, and I know, you know, you mentioned some amazing tips in here, right? Hike with your glue get that power nap in making sure you are okay with uh not too many support when you're out on some of these rugged races uh you know making do with the training like with the situation that you have i think that's a great principle you know from training in the in, in the caribbean for massive race like this i think it was awesome gave some great tips but i'm curious what can our listeners do every single day to be a better endurance athlete um aim high that's what I'm going to say, because if you aim high, you're going to miss high. I think you only learn we, we this is such an unknown sport. We're still figuring things out. So you learn so much, not only about your life from doing these races, these hundred mile races, but you learn a lot about how to do these better. So I've, you know, obviously getting a coach helped in, in, in some ways, but really it's the experience so, you know, the reason I would say, you know, fit 
aim high and who cares if you fail because you'll learn so much from that failure that you'll succeed at so many other things. So you don't know what you're capable of until you step up to the line and go for it. Um, so I, I boil it down to that. That's not stupid, but they're really short aim high, miss high. Um, and realize that you're capable of these amazing feats. You just might not have all the puzzle pieces in order and you don't necessarily need them in order and you can figure it out along the way um, to make it fit. But certainly, you know, in this, I feel like in, if you're trying to become a better ultra runner, um, do long ultras, sign up for things that you think you're going to fail at because you'll learn what works and what doesn't work pretty quickly. Um, and there's things you just can't, some things you just can't train for, um, especially in these long, crazy long distance races that have been coming even more and more popular. And I'll start, you'll probably start to see more, um, you know, it used to just be Candace's, um, three races. And now you're really starting to see these events expand quite a bit. So, um, yeah, just keep, keep throwing yourself at it and you'll learn so much from every ultra, um, in so many ways, um, from just simple life to trying to do better. And, uh, hopefully you don't get the bug and conti continue to sign up for <laughs> over and over and over again to try to learn more and more. Um, but yeah, that's, yeah, you know, failing, failing at these is really what has um, let me have success um, in these races. I, I love that, man. And I, as soon as you said the aim high thing, I was like, wow, there's there's no one who could say that better yeah. than you, man, because you've been aiming high your career, man. And like, you know, you've you've had some amazing victories and it's so cool to see those victories were formed by you aiming high. Right. Even if it didn't go the way it was, man, like you still aimed high and you still believed in yourself and said, hey, maybe if I didn't get it right on this time, I'm going to make it happen in the future. And you became one of the very few finishers of the Grand Ole Tour, Tour de Giants, man. And I think that speaks volume. So aim high. You live it, man. And uh, dude, thank you. Thank you for aiming high and thank you for coming on the podcast, man. And for uh, for this amazing treat and for uh, letting us all know about this incredible race called the Tour, which, uh, you know, was completed by an incredible guy and yourself, man. So, so appreciate you tons, Peter. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me on. And one last shout out to uh, certainly, as you know, with these races too, the crew um, does play a very important role. So um, during Cocodona, I had my best friend and my fiance out there um, running some miles with me. So that was a huge help having their support. And then, you know, just having um, my fiance and my folks out in, uh, in Italy, kind of knowing that they were there, um, is really, really a bonus. So shout out to the crew who do a hell of a lot of work during these things as well. Um, so just wanted to give them a little, little shout. So shout out to the fiance and, uh, and my folks for helping, um, help me get to the finish line because it's, uh, it's not always easy and a little, any little support really, really helps whether it's the, you know, that the random bacon pizza, you know, that they snuck me in at one of the life bases or one of the cheeseburgers that really, you know, kept me going. It's, it's the little things that, uh, that really, that really help you get to the finish line. 
Absolutely, man. Well, awesome that you shouted out that crew there, man. That is amazing. And I will say like plus one, everything that you just said, man, the crew is really, you know, I think without the crews, it's hard to really be, you know, successful in these races like that, you know, especially ones like like the tour or Coca Donor and anything like that. So love that shout out in there. Shout out to Peter's amazing crew is amazing. Beyonce is amazing parents. And uh, man, if you ever want to get emotional, go into Peter's page and see the one of him hugging his dad at the end of Cocodona, man, like that one. Oh, and that one made me feel a certain type of way, man. So it was super cool to see that. And awesome to hear you. Uh, you got to share that memory with him, man. And do uh, you continue to crush it? And uh, thanks again for coming on the show, man. This is real special. Thanks, Joe. It was fun talking. And uh, if you ever want to talk to tour or you're thinking about uh, signing up, certainly uh, let me know. I, we could uh, we could keep going for hours on this race. And I love love talking about it. It's such a cool thing. So thanks for having me on. Get letting me, uh, you know, um, let other people know about this race because I feel like a lot of people would really enjoy it and um, would really enjoy being a finisher out here. We need we need a little bit more uh, Americans out there um, hitting these big mountains because it's uh, it's really big on the European side. So. Um, hopefully we can, uh, get a few more crazies to sign up for this in 2023 and, uh, would love to, uh, talk to all of them. So thanks again for uh, having me on and hopefully we can hang out soon. Dude. Absolutely, man. hundred percent. And, uh, thanks for coming on, man. And hopefully, uh, people are signing up for the tour and, uh, with that, everybody, uh, thanks so much for tuning in and remember become a better endurance athlete every day, whatever that means for you, even if that means signing up for the Tour de Gions. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening, and we'll talk soon. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. Appreciate you listening in. And if you have any topics or guests or suggestions for the show, I would love to hear that because I want to make sure this show is so valuable to you that I'm able to provide all the things that you're looking for to become a better endurance athlete every day. So if you have those things, feel free to send them over to me on Instagram at Joe Corsione. That is my handle, J-O-E-C-O-R-C-I-O-N-E. And I'll be more than happy to fit it into the show, reach out to the guests that you're looking for, and ultimately give the value that you're looking for. Um, If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. Uh, Would love to get more ultra runners and uh, people in the ultra endurance community listening to this podcast, because the more this podcast grows, the better we're able to serve you as well. And so thank you so, so much again for listening in. I tell you, I do not take it lightly. And remember, my friends, become a better endurance athlete every single day. Take care.